Welcome to episode 26 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, as always, with Andrew Stoughton. And we are recording today in the middle of what seems like award season for the Toronto Blue Jays. They are stacking up the hardware. They're like, I don't know, there's some <laughs> Oscar movie that won Best Picture, but no one actually saw it. Like, I don't know, like a Hurt Locker, maybe something in that kind of realm of critical darlings, but no commercial success. So it's, the whole thing has been a little bit bittersweet, but... You've got Samian with the gold glove and the silver slugger. Uh, you know, no surprises there. Teoscar Hernandez, two straight silver sluggers. That would have been kind of inconceivable uh, a few years ago. Vladdy with the silver slugger and the Hank Aaron. Uh, did any of this strike you? Like, it's interesting to not be surprised by this because it, it, in previous years, I think this would have been like a really big deal. Like, wow, all these Blue Jays players are winning awards. But I don't know. It felt <laughs> like this was all coming. Yeah, it's. I think it's because you know, the 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 team needs to be rebuilt basically because they're losing so much value in Robbie Ray, who's going to win the Cy Young. Speaking of award season, and uh, and Simeon, right, Marcus Simeon. Um, yeah, it, it is weird that it's sort of the the response is muted and sort of all you can really say about it is like, well, that team should have made the playoffs. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I think Teoscar Hernandez is the one that mm -hmm. makes you step back a little bit and think, you know, there was a time not long ago where we were questioning, maybe not is this an MLB player, but is this an MLB starter for a team that actually wants to win something? And now we're looking at two straight silver sluggers, and you'd have to be pretty pessimistic to not think that he's going to be a much above average offensive player heading into next year. Like coming into 2021, I think there was a decent amount of confidence, especially because of the way he had ended 2019 and then 2020 was a shortened year, but it seemed like there was a trajectory, but there was still room for doubt. And that's pretty much been erased at this point. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> uh yeah, it was a great year for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like 2020, obviously with the shortened season, like you can, you know, it's 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 not easy to have a great sixty games, but it's not it's much harder to have a great hundred and sixty two games. Uh, and the fact that he did it again and keeps doing it is uh, uh, a testament to the work that he's put in. And and you know, the the Jays had faith in him, and and uh, it's a you know good on them for seeing that. And I think a lot of people along the way did not see it, like you're saying, uh, defensively also, <laughs> which is has been. Uh, even like somehow even bigger, uh, uh, an improvement or like a bigger deal to me is like, you know, people two, two, three years ago, if you talked about him just even playing regularly in the outfield for a, a, a team that was going to make the playoffs or be real close to making the playoffs, uh, that would have seemed sort of inconceivable. Like he looked like he was not good. Um, and, and yeah, like, I don't know. I think, I think that's, he, he's to me. And I think I wrote this the other week. Like he's like the. Uh, the quintessential like guy for this project that the Blue Jays are on, which is you know identifying him early, having you know having a, a having work to go in, and like being a culture guy and believing in the, him as like a person and as somebody who was going to uh, put the work in to get better, and he's done it, and and I think that's sort of quite representative of what they're trying to do here and trying to the guy the kind of guys they're trying to find. Yeah, and also if you look at sort of the, I don't know, teardown might be a bit extreme, but whatever you want to call it, the rebuild post the sort of 2016-2017 era when they decided, okay, this competitive window is not going to stay open. 
we got to trade guys away. They really didn't get a lot for their guys. Like, mm -hmm. I think that there's a legitimate <laughs> criticism to be made that, um, you know, I mean, the Josh Donaldson thing ended up being weird and a little bit out of their hands with the way the injury stuff worked. I don't know if you want to crack down on them for that. Jay Happ, I hated that trade at the time. Uh, I still hate it. He was a valuable piece <laughs> that they got nothing for. Teoscar Hernandez. He was, he was terrible heading into that trade deadline, though, as well. I think he had like just six of his worst starts as a Blue Jay going into that. Yeah, but you could have gotten something for him. Like McKinney wasn't nothing at the time. He was kind of just the worst version of what you might have gotten. Um, <laughs> he played playoff games for the Dodgers, I believe, this year. Uh, very true. Um, very <laughs> true. <is> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, is, that is absolutely wild. But he, but yeah, Teoscar Hernandez is sort of the one guy that they got back from all that um that it turned out to be a big piece and that's important like when you go through these competitive cycles obviously you have to draft and develop and that's where it starts but you also want to be able to get something for the for the group that you're moving on from and it's getting harder and harder to do the way teams hoard prospects and whatnot i'm not saying that it's easy but uh without teoscar hernandez i think the blue jays would have been looking down the barrel at we really didn't get anything for the decision to move away from that older 2015-2016 group. You're not a Thomas Pannone believer, is what you're no, saying. No, <laughs> no. Can't say that I ever was. Well, actually, Samad Taylor might uh, might make his way onto the 40-man. That's actually that's yeah. like one of those <laughs> rare small positives out of, out of that era. You're right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we don't need to relitigate that whole that Tom. that whole era and that all those trades that they made. But yeah, you're right. They definitely... He's uh, the guy. Know, Julian Merriweather had a... Good eight innings there at the start of the year. <laughs> Thomas Hatch is maybe something, probably not. Um, no, we can move on from that. What I what I thought was interesting this week that surprised me is it seemed like we were setting up for this. Okay, everyone knows there's going to be a lockout, so let's not do anything, uh, mm. and we'll do everything in February. And I think to some extent, there's a pretty good chance that that's how it plays out. Bigger picture. But smaller picture, and we saw an Andrew Heaney signing by the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, kind of exactly the sort of guy. And we heard the Blue Jays were in on it to some degree. Again, this time of year, so many grain of salt are necessary whenever yeah. <laughs> you hear that the Blue Jays are attached to someone, which is not to say that they're not talking to everyone. I'm sure they talked to all the agents, et cetera, et cetera. But who knows what their level of seriousness was with Heaney. He was the type of guy that could have been their next mats or whatever. But I thought even an outlay of that, which is you know less than $10 million, but I thought even an outlay that big was going to be something that teams were going to push off. And then now today, as we're recording, you know Jeff Passan is putting out uh, a report right now that some of the big guys, like the Simeons, the, the Seegers, are potentially going to be signing these you know hundreds of millions of dollars type of deal before December 1st, which... I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it's definitely not what I expected to happen. And it is it is fun to think about because the Blue Jays are going to be in on some of these type of players. I don't know if they're going to bring one home necessarily. The idea that we don't have to wait, you know, as people who podcast about the Blue Jays, for instance, uh, it's interesting to think about <laughs> the idea that something might happen between now and December 1st. I totally agreed. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I don't buy it. I, I don't, you know. <laughs> I don't know why you know that market is going to 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 be much more robust once teams know what the luxury tax threshold is, right? Like, I, I, though it does seem this year that there aren't you know there aren't as many teams as concerned about that as in years past. 
Um, but that's still, you know, that will take teams out of the running, I assume. Especially if, you know, like that first proposal that was floated uh, like back in August was like, we'll take the luxury tax threshold down to $180 million and bring in a salary floor, I think was MLB's proposal, which was insane. But, uh, you know, it, it, with, with uncertainty there, I don't know how you could, like, go and spend that kind of money. Uh, and I, I, don't if you're you the could, Texas I don't know how Rangers. you could like sign for a team and not have, you know, have the Yankees unwilling to do it or have the, you know, all these teams that, you know, must be waiting to hear what the threshold is going to be not being in on your market. Yeah, it, it is very tough to do. I think that, like I said, the Texas Rangers are a very funny player in all of this as they're suddenly incredibly rich out of nowhere. Um, even though, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. They're so far from being a good team. Like I've always liked the idea of sort of buying a guy ahead. Uh, you know, the Padres did it with Manny Machado. The Blue Jays did it with Ryu, uh, even though they ended up making the playoffs that year, but no one expected that. I do like the idea of buying someone a year or two ahead. If it's the right player, the right opportunity that might not come around again. Uh, the Texas Rangers are not close enough, like <laughs> to buy. Corey Seager's not making the Rangers a, a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, like the Rangers are years and years and years out. And like, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm like an expert on their farm system, but at the same but time, they're dog shit. But yeah, no, but they're all terrible. <laughs> uh, no, but like they haven't been known to have a particularly great farm system for a lot of this time. They've traded all their players of note. Like it is a. It is a bit of a wasteland there. And even with $100 million, which is a, is a ludicrous number that I have a hard time believing that anyone is going to do that. I mean, all good to the players and the agents. I like to see teams spend money in theory. Um, I have a hard time believing they'd have that kind of outlay on a single season. But it is that's a that's a weird one where maybe if those reports are true, where they have this much money to spend and they've got so much of a gap to that competitive balance that they feel like they can go in on somebody and maybe get a player who's a bit worried about what's going to happen here. But I think overall, you're right. It just it doesn't seem to make sense for either side to put ink to paper right now. But I'd love yeah, to see it. I agree with me as well. But I, but I don't know. The appeal of playing in that fucking airplane hangar you know, must be pretty strong. I don't I mean, a huge percentage of players come from Texas, and True. yet we don't really hear of Texas as a place that people want to play. And I think that that's kind of indicative of, you know, the franchise had has had some success, but a lot of times it's been really mediocre. And as you say, it is a shitty airplane hangar of a new stadium. And it doesn't at least that, have a roof where you're not playing in 100-degree weather, like, all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and you know the way the whole planet's going, that's not maybe getting better. So, uh, twenty. If you sign that eight-year contract, or at the end of that contract, you'll be happy for the roof potentially. Uh, that's a grim thought. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. So I feel like <laughs> at this time of year, and it's kind of unavoidable, and I think it's going to be what a lot of this podcast episode is individually. Um, is is just kind of touching base on players and rumors and speculation and kind of going down the list and being like, oh, well, this player, what do you think? This player, what do you think? And there, that's fun. It can get repetitive. So at, at the end of the day, I do want to promise the listeners that we will get to the Scott Boris uh, quotations. Uh, we'll dive <laughs> deep on them. We'll, we will have some linguistics going on at the end of this episode. It's not going to be all pure player speculation, but I thought... Um, one place we could start with that is with MLB trade rumors and their, they have their top 50 free agents and they have their predictions for each one and sort of where the Blue Jays pop up. Now, 
Um, I'm not going to say that they're prophetic when it comes to their predictions by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's interesting to know sort of what some level of industry consensus is on guys the Blue Jays might be in on. And so I've sorted these players. Also, one thing to note, there are 30, an old, the old uh, Control F told me that there are 30 <laughs> mentions of the Blue Jays in the top 50 uh, players, which just kind of goes to show, like, I don't know. I, I haven't done that experiment for other years. I'm sorry I didn't get the control group. But my guess is that if you go back three, four, five, six, seven years, you're not going to see that level of mention of the Blue Jays. And it kind of goes to show how far they've come. And the first guy on the list is, uh, I don't know if it's unsurprisingly, but I was not shocked to see this. They have three writers all make individual predictions. So some of these guys I'm going to talk about, all the writers predicted that they go to the Blue Jays or two or one. And the only one, in fact, that all of them predicted was Robbie Ray. And I'm not sure that I'm as confident as that panel. I think the thing with Ray is, He's kind of a weird case, and we know that he likes the Blue Jays, and we know the Blue Jays like him, and it's a little bit tricky to imagine what other team really wants to invest in this sort of unusual profile, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, so the two-pitch, the high effort, uh, the fact he's just pounding the strike zone and how that ends up with a lot of hard contact against him. My belief is that somebody else out there like really loves Robbie Ray I don't think that it's just the Blue Jays and I think that there's sort of this perception that like oh him and the Blue Jays are the special fit and there's not nothing there but with 29 other teams that got to see how good he was this year I just don't think that there isn't going to be a robust market of people who are willing to throw tons of money at this guy yeah I, I think you're totally right there and you know I mean man he was so fun to watch this was a, it was a great year I would love to see him back I think that in a lot of ways, it makes sense. I mean, but like the Blue Jays, we've known for you know years. Like the, they have their walkaway number; they're 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 not going to go beyond a certain point for guys. Um, and yeah, my suspicion is just that that someone will go beyond that for Robbie Ray, which uh, which is too bad. Uh, and and you know that, that they you know their numbers may evolve over the course of an off season. You know, I don't know if they're. You know what they ended up paying Springer might have not necessarily been what at the start of the offseason they thought was what his you know the price that they would have been comfortable paying. Other teams uh, were furious by how much money <laughs> the Blue Jays paid George Springer. <laughs> Doctors hate this one weird trick for getting a guy to sign. <laughs> but so well, I mean, so again, so it could evolve. But I, but yeah, I do, I do kind of, I don't know, I. It's weird. It's hard to predict their behavior based on past behavior because they just they haven't been in this situation where they are a win now team in the same way as they are right now, and also haven't been in the situation where they need to recoup a bunch of value that they're losing to free agency in, in Simeon and and, uh, and Ray and Mats. So uh, it, it's gonna and they have a bunch of money. It's gonna be interesting. I mean, they've they've had the money in the past clearly. Um. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a. I feel like every name you're you're gonna come. I'm like I don't know if I I don't know if I quite see it. Like, are they gonna pay Justin Verlander forty million dollars a year for three years? I don't know. That's um, why. That's why I had to promise the Scott Boris stuff at the end. <laughs> uh, the thing with Ray, I think that a lot of Blue Jays fans could say to themselves, "Well, because of the qualifying offer, in theory." The Blue Jays could pay him more because other teams have to factor back in the value of the qualifying offer. So all things being equal, the Blue Jays could 
offer him the most money and feel good about it. The flip side of that is that the Blue Jays are putting a value on the draft pick that they themselves will get if Mm -hmm. he leaves. And so I think that to some degree that balance itself out and it might be something the Blue Jays are cognizant of if they go out into the trade market, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, and they go and get somebody and they continue to deplete their farm system to some degree, then those draft picks might be more precious to them. So even though you can position yourself as believing that the qualifying offer helps the Blue Jays retain him, it's also another avenue for them to find value is to allow him to leave and then sign someone they feel like is maybe not equivalent, but a good enough replacement at a re- at a price they feel better about, and then they get the draft pick too. Yeah, I I tend and I tend to think that's probably how they're going to view it, because uh, and I also think that yeah they're probably going to go out and and move some prospects and try to you know try to improve via the trade market as as we'll speak about later. So there are a couple of guys that got two writers out of three predicting they would go to the Blue Jays. And those guys, in order of uh, excitement, actually, I don't know how to rank these guys in order of excitement. I don't know. It depends on your flavor. I guess probably in order of excitement, number one is Kenley Jansen, and number two is Kyle Seeger. Uh, Kyle Seeger is not very exciting. I just think that the premise of... (laughs) That's the wrong Seeger right there, yeah. That is the wrong Seeger. I just think the premise of an everyday player is always a little bit more exciting than a reliever in a sense. This this surprised me. First of all, I think there's been some rumblings that the Blue Jays haven't really engaged with Jansen thus far, which is not to say that they won't. And again, I won't take the rumors that seriously sometimes, but I don't see them spending that money on the relief. Like they haven't done it yet. I know that they saw how poorly the bullpen performed at parts last year, but my interpretation of how they would see that is we need more quality arms not we need this guy because they kind of have that guy in Romano to some degree when he's going um there are other individuals that they feel good about their their issue was that they had more injuries than you would expect so it was I don't think they did the worst job of creating depth but I think they know they need to create more and I don't really see them going the route of spending on the big 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 money closer it's hard to fit the idea of the huge money closer with our understanding of the Shapiro Atkins front office, although we do know they did take a swing at Liam Hendricks last offseason, but I think Hendricks is one of those guys who's just, he's a different animal, like he's kind of an exception to the rule, he's sort of the guy who can create that value, whereas Jansen, obviously an incredible closer, but maybe not that guy who is a total cut above many other people who are in a similar band. Yeah, I t- I feel I feel it would be would it would be much more surprising if Liam Hendricks fell off a cliff than if Jansen did. I've kind of been waiting for that for years. It feels like, um, and yeah, he's great. I but yeah, I I I don't know that signing him to a long contract would be a great idea for a team. Uh, hope he gets paid. Hope somebody does it. But uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right that like you know it's it. It's like more of a quantity versus quality thing for the Jays this this year, and I, I think that's probably how they'll address it, and you know, get their David Phelpses and get their like, you know, guys who cost a couple million bucks and and do it that way again because they do have Romano, they do have Tim Meza who's who was great last year, um, and yeah, I think I think you're right that Hendricks is is it just it just the durability seems different, the age is different, um. 
Yeah, that would have been nice. If they, <laughs> that would have worked out really well. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah maybe someone more in, a, in the sort of Kendall Graveman bracket. Like I could see them getting a sure. quote unquote marquee guy, but maybe not at the very top of the market. And I would rather go sign Kendall Graveman than uh, Kenley Jansen. That's for sure. If I'm the Blue Jays. The second guy, Kyle Seeger. I think this is one of those things that's sort of sadly plausible. Like, uh, I can, I know, I think that (laughs) if you kind of read between the lines or not even too far between the lines with Ross Atkins right now, he's definitely putting out into the world, a scenario where Biggio returns to second base and is the primary option there. And then they go and get a third baseman, which I don't think is necessarily the worst idea in the world. I know we diverge a bit on Biggio's value. Uh, I actually think he's okay as a second baseman who hits nine better there for sure. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the drop-off between Simeon and him would be uh, stark, to say the least. But if you, you know, you can, there's different ways to move value around. And Seager is the kind of guy who would fit at third base. If if you go get Seager, who is sort of the ultimate floor play, right? Like, there's no ceiling with him whatsoever. Um, floor ain't great. Floor, floor could be better. <laughs> this, 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 this floor thing, could be man. better, too. Uh, you know, he's he's a left-handed bat, so you get a little diversification there. He's not terrible at fielding, even though he's old. Uh, again, kind of a reliable, unexciting veteran. If you do that, you better go get some really good pitching. Like, if your move is to get Kyle Seeger and then put Kevin Biggio at second, you're basically saying that we're our lineup is going to take a big step back. And so we have to make our pitching better, which is hard to do when you're losing a possible Cy Young uh, and a Steven Matz mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I think it's plausible, but it, I don't know if it's the darkest timeline, but it is a, <laughs> I think it's a kind of, it's a pretty grim timeline where the Blue Jays end up with Kyle Seeger, which is not to say that it won't happen, but uh, I'm more optimistic for the front office than assuming that that's the direction they're going to go. Yeah, same. And oh man, <laughs> that would—that's a tough sell, Kyle Seager. Um, he sucks. <laughs> not great. Not great. Um, like, go trade for Chapman if like, or like, you have better options at third base than than Seager. I don't know. I uh, he should retire a Mariner. They should bring him back. Nobody else should have any interest in him. I always uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes by ross atkins was about i think it was socrates burrito back in the day when he said he had (laughs) his handedness was intriguing which i thought was hilarious because there's like three options and so the idea (laughs) that someone being left-handed was intriguing was uh seemed like a bit of a stretch to me and i think that's a a big part of the kyle seager appeal is that intriguing handedness but my expectation is that it won't be intriguing enough it's true and you know i i I'm heartened by uh and we you know we talked to Ben last week like Ben and Arden had uh Atkins on the podcast of the, of theirs at the letters last week and uh he he was like you know he was I think he said to Arden like you know you've asked me in 2016 if we'd like to be younger and more athletic I'm like yeah of course I would but but it made the point that you know the scoring runs wasn't a problem for them last year handedness you know that there were issues in late innings but they did score a ton of runs uh, wasn't really their big issue. So I, I, you know, I think the handedness thing is maybe, and this I think is what Atkins was saying is maybe been overplayed a little bit. I think they would like to get more left-handed just because that's, you know, that's 
optimal, but uh, but I don't think it's going to be like the driving factor behind going out and getting a, a Kyle Seager. No, you can have a really good right-handed heavy lineup or a really good left-handed heavy lineup, and what matters the most is having good hitters. Now, there would be times in the season where it would have been really nice to have a big left-handed bat hitting sort of fourth, fifth, breaking up that run. Uh, I don't know how many things that would be worth. The whole thing about this offseason is we get to say, well, if it was worth one game, it would have been good enough. Right. <laughs> um, so maybe that would have been worth one game. I don't know. It's hard to say. But I, yeah, I don't see that as being a big enough factor to really drive transactions. But one of the guys on the end of this list here, a couple of them are do fit in that bucket. So there's three guys remaining. Um, Eduardo Escobar, uh, switch hitter left and right, obviously, and a third baseman. Kyle Schwarber and Raziel Iglesias. And these ones, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure any of them make a ton of sense to me. I mean, Eduardo Escobar again in the Kyle Seeger, this is a third baseman who we can have some confidence in mold. Uh, a lot of swing and miss, a lot of sort of like, you know, a lot of what they already have. And we've talked about diversification before, and it's not necessarily the top priority, but it would be interesting to actively make that decision. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, hell of a hitter, would look really good in the lineup. Some other things have to happen to fit him <laughs> in, uh, I think, neatly at least. I don't. This is not to say that they couldn't happen. I think he would look well, really. They have, they have a lot of DH at bats to to give away as well, and and I think the fact that he you can throw him in left field, I, I of the of that group, I definitely would lean Schwarber. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's always, you also lean him because he's by far the best player out of that group. Like, Iglesias is uh, <laughs> a good, a good pitcher again, like maybe makes more sense than Jansen in the sense that he's not at the very, very top of that market, but still high up. I don't know. Um, he's not someone I'm super excited about, to be honest. Schwarber is really interesting. He would be really good in this lineup. Gives him that punch. He's also last year, when he came to the Red Sox, he really ratcheted up his selectivity and took a lot more walks and ended up at like leading off for that team for a lot of the uh, playoffs and late in the season. And he he didn't lose his power or anything. He was really just, he was just really good across the board. And yeah, he's someone who's, who's really interesting and his skill i don't know how long a contract he's going to require but guys like that who are patience and power i don't worry as much about especially if you're giving them a bunch of dh at bats like i think kyle schwarber is going to be kyle schwarber for the foreseeable future i don't i don't see him falling off a cliff yeah no i i i agree with that and uh and yeah i well yeah and the i i think they can, i think with the dh at bats and the fact that he can play left field you can squeeze him in but uh, it depends what they think about uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who apparently is a free agent sooner than anybody thought. Yeah, that's, a, a, that's a weird one. revelation this week. That's a weird one. Uh, I'm sure we've all uh, written incorrect information about 100%. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and put that out <laughs> into the world. It, uh, To be honest, it, it kind of changes. If, if it changes the shape of anything, it changes the shape of his value as a trade chip. Right. Uh, because we've talked about him before as, oh, this is a guy who you can kind of center a package around and maybe his fit in Toronto isn't so perfect, yada, yada, yada. And people are still trying to do that. Like the amount of people that are trying to trade Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for Jose Ramirez is uh, a lot. And it's been a lot for a while. And I get why. But now that he only has these years of control, he's got one fewer, he's got two now. 
that's not uh i mean he's still you know good hitter makes no money like there's still value there but it's not the same type of value especially for teams that aren't particularly competitive like i think that extra year of control would make a difference to a team that Mm -hmm. feels like they're maybe not there but will be there in the near future whereas getting a guy with that amount of control now you kind of have to think you're pretty decent already. And if you think that, then it's like, why am I trading away the good player to the Blue Jays anyway? So I do think it, it kind of changes things more than maybe more than an administrative error here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely. Like Cleveland is not, if Cleveland's trading Ramirez, they're not going to be good again in two years. And he'll be done. The contract will be done after that. So uh, it's, you know, the one year difference seems weird, but it's also like, a third of you know what of, of what we of what we thought he had left so it does it definitely changes his value and uh yeah i mean i don't know maybe like maybe if, maybe if that's the route oakland wants to take i don't i don't know that they're necessarily short on outfielders but they definitely are apparently willing to tear it down because the, they've got to the point where they have to pay their players and obviously don't want to do that cuz they're idiots and their billionaire owner sucks and is trying to extract public money for a new stadium um, you know, maybe a t- uh, like there maybe a team like that makes more sense. Maybe a team like Miami makes more sense, where they're not necessarily going to be bad for multiple years. But, uh, but yeah, definitely like the full on rebuilding kind of clubs are going to look at two years of a guy and be like, you know, it doesn't matter how good he is because we're not going to be good until this contract is over. It also puts him sort of squarely in that extension window now i don't see him as a guy the blue jays want to extend necessarily i don't know if he's a guy that i personally would want to extend but when someone this is the the perfect time to extend someone is when they've got this amount of control left and they haven't really made money yet and uh and they're looking for that big payday and they're not close enough to getting it in free agency that there's still a level of incentive there a little bit of leverage on the team side which is why you're going to hear a lot about Teoscar Hernandez. And we've talked about that before. And it's kind of the right time to extend him if you believe in him. Uh, I'm sure his agent feels like it's the right time after a couple silver sluggers. Uh, (laughs) So I I don't think the Blue Jays are going to extend him, but that's a conversation that we never would have broached if he had the three years of control. Um, And now that's something that's worth thinking. Maybe it is. I don't know. Like Maybe there's someone in the Blue Jays front office who thinks, you know what? The better long-term play is Gurriel Jr., not Teoscar Hernandez, um, at a certain value, not like overall. I don't think anyone thinks that he's a better player than Teoscar Hernandez, but maybe at what he would potentially cost. I don't. I I don't think so. But it, it is something worth bringing up because this has just kind of changed the shape of what he is as a piece of this roster. And it's just you know, from a Blue Jays perspective, uh, if you're cheering for the team, unfortunate. From a Gurriel perspective, if you're cheering for him to earn money uh it is a good development so for sure yeah it's it's pretty simple it is what it is um the more fun stuff i think than the free agent um targets is the trade targets because then you get to talk about sort of plundering some garbage franchises (laughs) um so right like the cincinnati reds are an interesting one because they were pretty close to being decent last year and they're the type of team that in theory you want a build off and they're they're open for business on the two big pitchers. So you've got the Luis Castillo, who we've heard a lot about over kind of the last year or so. And then 
Sonny Gray is a little bit less, uh, a little bit more under the radar, but he's also someone people are talking about as well. Where would you um, yeah, put your effort into extracting Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray? <laughs> well, if money is no object, if prospects are no object, then I mean, Castillo is well, obviously the much better pitcher, but more appealing. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I hope, I, you know, it, it, that whole situation sucks. Um, giving away Wade Miley for free, even though I think Wade Miley is not good and, and, it's baffling and, how successful he is based on what he brings really to the table, is. but you but can't like argue with six, it. It was like six war <laughs> according to the baseball reference one. And, and you know, and he's been, he's been doing it for like three years now, even though he was just trash for a very long time before that. I think, I think there's, there's a thing about Baltimore that just like just destroys pitchers. It turns out. Um, so I, but like giving him away for nothing, I, I don't get that. I can't believe that teams weren't going to trade anything for him. Um, though that I think I, you know, that makes me a little suspicious about what they think the lockout situation is going to do because you don't maybe want to give up six years of a guy for a guy to, to be here for a season that doesn't happen. Uh, but also a bunch of teams passed on him when they could just have him for free, so that sort of undermines my, you know, my <laughs> that point right. Like they, you know, I I don't know why Miami wouldn't have just picked him up, but. Uh, but be that as may, yeah. So maybe the maybe the ten million that they saved on him uh, makes them less inclined to move the other two. I think. I mean, I think Gray. I, like, I'm not afraid of the fact that he was terrible when he was with the Yankees, and you know, and the AL East thing. Uh, he's been really good for them. Um, also, but it is a it's a terrible division right now too. Which you know, you kind of have to readjust all the numbers you know like looking at Miley's numbers I was like okay yeah, how many starts against the Pirates did he have how many starts against the, the Cubs who were brutal last year you bake uh, that in but like there was a lot when the Blue Jays acquired Barrios we didn't really talk about that did we I mean sure. maybe we should have like maybe and but he he was a good but he's objectively good yeah he's as a opposed good, to Wade Miley well, who objectively sucks yeah Wade Miley sucks <laughs> But I think the parallels between uh, Barrios and Castillo are pretty strong in terms of the, sure. the durability, a little bit different style. Castillo, a little bit higher velocity, more of a changeup guy than a breaking ball guy. But uh, they're both sort of durable kind of number twos, probably, uh, at the end of the day. Like Castillo has sort of been the number one for Cincinnati in a lot of ways, but maybe that's maybe that's not quite his ceiling. And... I think what you gave up for Barrios, which I still don't think is necessarily "quote unquote" a problem, it's hard to see the Blue Jays replicating that again. Right. Uh, which is why I think that Gray is potentially a more interesting target. He's older. He costs a little bit more. He has the same amount of control. He's got the two years, but he's been better than people realize with Cincinnati. Like he's been 18th in WAR among pitchers over the last three years. Uh, his ERA last year was not sterling, but it was sort of way above the X ERA. So, he, you know, his stuff is slipping a little bit, his velocity slipping a little bit, but he's still got two really good breaking balls. He still gets guys out. He still induces soft contact. I think he had some bad luck last year. I don't, you know, if the Blue Jays got something great, I don't think people would be dancing in the streets, but because of the age difference and the fact that his stuff maybe is not exactly what it was two years ago or whatever. I think there, there's a very significant difference in the package required to pry Castillo and Gray loose, and I'd probably rather go down the Gray road 
um, which sounds like a literal road and that's not what I mean. <laughs> um, I think I'd rather go down the road with gray just, be, just for the difference of what they would cost. And in a vacuum, I would for definitely sure. rather have Castillo. I think he's fantastic. His changeup is so fun to watch. Um, what a great addition he'd be him alongside Barrios would be really cool. They don't have a sort of huge velocity starter. That would be a nice look for them to have. There's plenty of reasons, yada, yada, yada. But um, when I'm thinking about what's you know realistic for them or fits the bigger picture plan, gray is a, a lot of interest to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're right. Like, I mean, man, I, I the, the package for Castillo will be as big as for Jose Ramirez, right? Like, like that's, he, he, he is a game changing pitcher, even though he may not necessarily be a true number one, like you're saying, but yeah, I think that's going to cost us a team a lot uh, or not. And maybe Cincinnati will keep him because he's still at least, you know, uh, cost controlled. Okay, so the next uh, target for plunder is Oakland, uh, which is just, you know, that's just a, the usual cost of doing business. <laughs> the Blue Jays have benefited from this before. Uh, it's interesting. You've got Sean Manea, who's coming off his sort of best season of his career. He's got the, the big changeup. Uh, the velocity is up a little bit, but he's not a big velocity guy. Like, he's not a huge pure stuff guy like i think he's he's a, a high draft pick and a big prospect and stuff so i think in people's heads they imagine him as being this big sort of dominant so he's also physically big being this big right. kind of dominant stuff guy and he's not really that he's more of a command change up type of guy really good really good at what he does but um and then you've got bassett who is one of those guys who doesn't blow you away with anything he throws necessarily either but he's got five legit pitches and he's had an, an ERA of 315 or less in three of the last four seasons. Like he's had some injury problems, but you know, a career ERA of 347, that's a guy who just keeps guys off, you know, he keeps runs off the board. Yeah. He's a one-year control guy, so probably more manageable from uh from a acquisition cost standpoint. Matt Chapman, right? Like that's the interesting one from a Blue Jays perspective. For sure. He's been an MVP level player before. He's an incredible defender, like sort of platinum glove level defender at third base. Something the Blue Jays haven't seen in a long time. Like that would be really, really fun for the Blue Jays fans to just watch him go to work on defense. Really weird what's happened to him on offense. Like he mm -hmm. he's become sort of Joey Gallo esque over the last two years. And it like in the <laughs> In the pandemic year of 2020, you thought, oh, maybe whatever, this is nothing. But his strikeout rate went up into the 30s. And then in 2021, it came back and it was the same thing. So that's a little bit worrying, obviously. You know, he didn't have as good a season offensively, but even having a you know, pretty unimpressive offensive season, he was a 3.4 win player in 2021. So the floor with him is so high because his defense is so good. And if you can get the bats to ba bounce back to the sort of 2018, 2019 levels, like, yeah, you're talking about an absolute superstar. That's, I mean, how could you not like that as a trade target? For sure. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. And I definitely just, I don't like just from Twitter. I, I definitely see people thinking about him as though he's the 2018, 19 version, which he hasn't been, which is, which yeah, is weird. Like I think it was like a one one wrc plus this year like you know just a league average hitter but the the glove is so good at third base that that the floor is that high and and he'll and he'll be a, a three four win player even if he doesn't get back to there so i 
Yeah, I I, he, I think he's a great target because there's definitely the potential to be better because you know we've seen it, um, and I think that makes him an even better target maybe because the the fact that he's been bad for a couple of years or not bad but not as good as he was lowers the price. Like you can't you can't ask for superstar prices when you're when a guy's had you know 800 plate appearances where he's been kind of average. So. Um, very intriguing there. As are as are the pitchers. As are the uh, you know either of those guys would look great in the Jays rotation, um, and like you said, yeah, because the because the of the uh, the lack of control puts the drives the cost down and also fits better with what the Jays are trying to do, because uh, obviously you know things are going to get expensive after uh, you know once once Bichette and Vlad you know get farther into arbitration and uh, the, that's all you know part of the calculation. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's obviously very intriguing, but I think a lot of teams are obviously going to be intrigued as well. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think the, the philosophy of the Blue Jays taking on a starter, it's hard to find a good free agent starter for one year, but you can find one and trade in this situation isn't the worst idea in the world. As you point out, a lot of their guys are getting more expensive. There are going to be extensions to be talked about, not to say that those players are going to agree to those extensions necessarily, but you want to put money aside for that. You know the team is going to be good enough this year to want to invest in someone you only have for one year of control. At the same time, you probably are a little bit worried about continuing to deplete that farm system. So getting those guys for a single year, you're not reaching into you know deep into the bag of prospects. So I, I could see a lot of that coming together. Matt Chapman's exciting. Like you said, I think the perception of him for guys who haven't been watching over the last kind of year and a bit uh, exceeds what you can probably expect from him next year. There'll probably be a bounce back to some degree, but when the strikeout rates jump like that, it it's scary, and there's not yeah. there's not a ton to indicate they're going to jump back, especially because it's happened in two separate years, like you said, over close to 800 plate appearances. So there is a, a version where you get Matt Chapman, and he's a right-handed power, low on base, tons of strikeouts guy, who feels a bit like Randall Grichicky with incredible <laughs> third base yeah. defense. <laughs> and if you're giving up big, yeah. big prospects for that, like there's a, there's a version of that trade that goes wrong. I know that because of the defense, the floor is high, but it's not, you know, if the offense is in a decline right now, there's nothing to say that it couldn't get worse. Like it's not, it's no guarantee that it's going to get better. Um, he is, you know, he's only 28 right now. So it's not like his bat is totally slowing down. He's getting old or something like that. But it's interesting because I think if the Blue Jays traded for Matt Chapman, it would be widely celebrated, but it it is he's a pretty risky acquisition in a way that like Chris Bassett would be sort of a a wise, not necessarily super high ceiling with some injury risk, but relatively high floor, like sort of maybe a little bit above what you'd call the tidy bit of business on Twitter, but not the blockbuster. <laughs> and Chapman would be kind of a blockbuster and one that would carry some pretty significant downside. Yeah, I, I, I that's why you got to go and get Jose Ramirez. Obviously, you got to go get Jose Ramirez. <laughs> this isn't he's not on the list because uh, one, I'm a bit sick of it, and also I'm just looking yeah. at things that have happened in the last <laughs> couple of days. That's been sort of ongoing for forever, essentially. Uh, the other one that's been coming up in the last couple of days has been the Marlins um because right. they've right. just got too much good pitching apparently, which is kind of silly. I don't think that really exists. But apparently they are, you know, guys like Alicia Hernandez and Pablo Lopez are available. You hear those names together and 
and it's interesting because those are just two totally different players to me. Like I don't <laughs> sure. like well, literally. Yes. Well, yes, in the most literal sense, but <laughs> I don't know. They just being grouped together, like oh, young starters they could potentially move to make room, yada yada yada. I don't like anything about Alicia Hernandez. Like I, I don't think his stuff is compelling. The results were pretty good in the pandemic season, but generally speaking, haven't been great. Like there's nothing. He's not super durable. Yeah, there's just not like you. He's a guy who's a valid, you know, back of the rotation candidate, but he's not the guy you go out and trade for, in my opinion. Or you could if the price is low enough. But Pablo Lopez is a totally different situation. Like this guy's a really good, really good pitcher. (laughs) Like he's a no, I don't know. He's like a number three like pitcher, even with some upside. Like he's not even turned twenty six yet. Three more years of control. Like this is a really, really good guy. And like I think you said on Twitter, like if you can build a package around Alejandro Kirk that's going to get you Lopez, like you do that yesterday. And I hundred yeah. percent agree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's really good. I, you know, and I, I mean, all, all of this feels like John Morosi trying to get radio hits on the fan, right? Like, <laughs> like hey, you it's know, all it's all about alternative revenue streams, you know. <laughs> it, 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 but we're in that season where it's yeah. like, oh, they checked in on this guy or this, you know, where like, the, and I think this is literally like. Well, this makes sense. The Jays have a catcher that this could work, and the, the Marlins have an extra extra pitchers, and this could, and I don't I don't know that it's coming from anywhere except speculation put together by guys just looking at the roster. Um, because yeah, I mean, <laughs> like you say, like I said, the yeah, if you get if you trade Alejandro Kirk for Lopez, then you absolutely do that. I mean, I have it in the podcast notes. I'm looking at right now. Literally, my sentence is Pablo Lopez. Why would the Marlins trade him? <laughs> that's right that's I, my opinion I, I, on I, it like why yeah there's an, if you ever want to be good why are you giving away like very good quality starters with three years of control like there's never a reason to do that you have to be so unbelievably terrible to believe that you have no chance of getting value out of that um, yeah that it makes absolutely no sense that they would do that okay we are we're our time is nearing an end you guys were promised some boris quotes i know you've heard them but you've not heard our impressive uh, literary analysis and grading of them. <laughs> so let's grade some Scott Boris quotes. I don't know if you're more comfortable with a percentage thing or you're like an ABCD guy. I think that the ABCD uh, system is a little bit more intuitive. It's a little bit easier to understand. Like what is a 63? But we all know what a C minus is. That's my, that's my take on the grading. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Let's, and the, these are some potential Blue Jays targets too. Maybe. Uh, okay, so let's start with Chris Bryan. For me, Bryan, he's tall in stature. He's kind of the Sean Connery of Major League Baseball. Posi- positional versatility makes him untouchable. He has Bond-like abilities to create a giant middle of the lineup. A oh, great middle of the lineup, sorry. He always has... He's always red hot in the hunt for October. Oh, that, I hate that so much. Uh, That's a bad one. He's an extraordinary yeah. <laughs> gentleman in a league of his own. Bryant has many roles, and they're all hit. What do you give that? That's like a D for me, I think. That's not good. That's all, all of that's bad. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a D as well. <laughs> here's some problems with it. I want to, I want to leave some space just in case there's an F yeah, still coming. Yeah, here's some problem. One, no one is like, no one is thinking about the hunt for Red October. Like, that's a reference that's going to go over the heads of most people. Like, I haven't seen that movie. I barely know about it. Um, right. Sean Connery also like fairly recently died. 
Uh, I think it's odd to sort of call on him in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just love, and th- this is nitpicking. And I know that sometimes people have verbal tics. You know, I say I think a lot on this podcast. It's a it's a great way to fill time while you actually think of something to say. There's behind the curtain. But no, anyway, but we all have some. People say, <laughs> uh, and, um, we have verbal tics, right? And so sometimes you say something like, for me, and I've definitely said that before. But saying for me, Bryant, he's tall in stature is hilarious to me because it's sort of the most objective truth. Like we all know that he's tall in stature. <laughs> so for him to be presenting that as his opinion, uh, really, yeah, it it was the it rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, much like most of this, I don't see any connection between Chris Bryant and Bond. And if anyone is thinking of seeing the newest Bond movie, don't see it. It's absolute dog shit. That's kind of <laughs> unrelated, but just a, a nice little PSA. Number two. So Michael Conforto. Conforto has been the king of diamonds, Little League World Series, College World Series. And as a Met, he's been an all-star, a pennant winner, and he was huge in the World Series. He's basically become the king of queens. And in free agency, he's the ace of many GM's hearts. I mean, that's that's a solid C, I think. Yeah, that's a little better. I'm going to say C plus like there's some real things involved in that. He's like he's listing some I don't know if accomplishments are the right word, but he's he's getting <laughs> something across that like this. There's like a through other this a through line with the, uh, the 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 deck of cards thing. I don't like the Kevin James King of Queens reference. I don't know that that's going to, you know. <laughs> it's a bit cute. Connect with people. Yeah, it's a bit cutesy with the ace of GM's hearts, but. Yeah, it has a, like you said, it has a through line, it has a theme, and it lists real things that happen. Um, like when he references Bryant's Bond-like abilities, that's not anything. Uh, whereas no. this refers to, yeah, some tangible things. Yeah, I'll give it a C+. Plus. I, it's not for me, but that's I could fair. see somebody appreciating it somewhere. Sure, sure. So this is Marcus Simeon, our uh, our friend here. In Marcus's case, he brings a charge to the batter's box. He insulates the middle infield, so he's truly a modern-day Simeon conductor. And we all know there's a shortage of chips worldwide, so you can imagine the people who come. See, I don't, I don't hate that one. I'll, I can give that a B. Uh, I could go even higher. Here's the thing, but uh, I won't. I wish that I knew <laughs> more about what semiconductors do, because I feel like do they insulate things? Uh, I don't know. Oh fuck! I have no idea. So about that. I, one thing, one thing I do respect <laughs> in this one is that uh, is that he's referencing like the worldwide chip shortage, which I think might be a little bit niche. I don't know if like sort of the average person is thinking about that on a day-to-day basis, but it is a really big deal in a variety of industries. And uh, I like how he ties it back into the demand for his client. Semian conductor is really what trips me off. Like that pun itself really bothers me, but the rest of the premise is all right. So yeah. And, And also that one just like, you know, clearly, clearly thought out beforehand, clearly, you know, and and we all know that, that, that he's, you know, he's workshopping his material. And like, but yeah, that's, uh, that just, gives, that, it, it, it just shows the lie of, of his you know, little performance, but also I don't, you know, 
I also I'll go look. Go nuts, Scott Boris, once a year. I don't I, that doesn't bother me. B minus. Like. It's not his worst one. It might be his best, but that's not saying that. <laughs> Fair. So on Corey Seeger, the Seegers are used to being on big stages and they have many hits. You can think of all those Hollywood nights and postseason MVPs. Oh yeah, I think when you go through all of this, you say Homer's against the wind. And, and frankly, he's a guy everyone knows. He's like a rock. So I, I think there's some some references there that I'm missing personally. Oh my god, uh, like a rock. He's talking about Bob Seger, I think. Yeah. So <laughs> I, yeah, the, that one does not connect. That's a, that's a hard D minus for me. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Like Homer's against. I don't know. Again, that's probably references to something. Like, and it's it's yeah. just so forced. It's he's he's reverse engineering it from he's like a rock. And he's trying to create something that comes to that conclusion. Did he did did he say Hollywood Nights in there? Yeah, he did say Hollywood Nights. Okay, it's an A plus now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a strong turn. <laughs> I heartily endorse the the, the, the oblique Bob Seeger references in that one. Uh, now that now that I've taken a minute to actually process the fact that that's what he was doing. I think that maybe it's uh yeah it's a it's a, a little bit of a demographic play for people of a certain age and stage who might be at baseball <clears throat> GMs. So perhaps yes. I think we'll, yeah we'll have a nice range on that. You can go A minus, <laughs> I can go D minus. Uh th- this one is my I'm going to just it's very short but I'll just say I hate this one the most. When you think about sculpting a pitching staff and you're a thinking man, the target without a doubt is Rodone. And that's how Carlos Rodone, uh, he's trying to reference the thinker here. So one, it's like a very simple thing. The statue, the thinker, it's not hard to get that. Like it's not a hard, it's not hard words. It's literally two. So he, he blew, he blows the reference. And it's another thing that's not anchored to anything. Like, why is Radon the guy you want if you're a thinking man? Like, what about him makes him the thinking man's pitcher? Like, he's been, he was just incredibly good last year. Like, there's nothing, I don't know, maybe if he threw some weird pitch, or he had like a seven-pitch repertoire, or he was you Darvish. (laughs) Like, I don't know, if there was something about him that made it relevant, but I think he's basically being like, hey... He, you guys are probably interested in Scherzer and Verlander and guys like that, but like the real smart ones are going to want Radon. He's trying to position him that way, but I don't know. This one did nothing for me. That's, I mean, I, it, I mean, Rodin is the sculptor who made the thinker, I believe, right? So that's, oh man, that's the connection there. I uh, missed that I, connection, I, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hit. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes, I'll give, I'll bump it up from that. I'll bump that up to a C then. <laughs> I think I'm, I think a C is fair for that one. So I, yeah, because I, you're right. Like I don't get the what uh, other than having one letter in his last name different from the, the like what what else makes Carlos Rodon uh, the thinker? Like you say, I don't know. Yeah, good pitcher though. Good pitcher. Uh, this one is not really a. I don't know. I don't, this was a Borisism, I guess. Teams that are pursuing a championship, they're certainly not pursuing the minimum. They're going directly to max. That's on. Oh, it's max minimum on free agent max Scherzer. Man, I think okay. he's going over and under my head all over the place here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, you know what? That's fine. Actually, I, I think that might be the best one because it, it's, it's coherent. 
Like, is that it? Because yeah. simplicity really counts for a lot. I'm giving that a B yeah. because it okay. it is like the the pun makes sense. He's trying to say, yeah, if you're if you're serious about winning, you come to Max Scherzer. That makes sense with the pitcher that Max Scherzer is. Uh, I mean, I I miss the nautical <laughs> stuff. I wish there was more <laughs> nautical stuff this year. Uh, wow, it's pretty disappointing in all aspects of life. Life, I wish there was more nautical stuff. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty disappointing. I don't know, man. Like, it's I guess some of it's not for me. I think in life you come to realize that things aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just for you or not for you. And I just feel like none of the Boris stuff is for me. Uh, hard same. Uh, and also, yeah, you're right. And I, I have a hard time imagining which GMs are like, oh, that was very charming and clever, Mr. Boris. <laughs> Let me throw another $10 million on the offer. I, oh, I never... <laughs> I assume they roll their eyes just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, like I never knew about Max Scherzer until you made that max minimum joke there. <laughs> I want to know the process. I want to know like how many people are in the room, what are rejected. I'd love to see the rejected ones. Because <laughs> if this is what gets, gets through, like the stuff on the cutting room floor has got to be absolutely incredible. Uh, no doubt. By which you mean... Terrible garbage. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, that's where we are in the offseason. We're early. It's speculation time. It's Boris Chad time. I've been to one Boris Chad in my life. I was at the, uh, I guess it was the 2018 winter meetings in Las Vegas. I've been part of that thrall of human beings. Uh, and it's a, it's an experience. It's definitely an experience. But it's one of those ones I think almost the reporters there are having more fun than it's interesting in any way. Uh, or useful. <laughs> yes. Um, absolutely true. But, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. It's a tradition. And baseball is all about tradition uh, in a lot of ways. Clings to tradition. And so if uh, if Boris doing this grandstanding is something that's going to happen once a year, I think we can live with it. You can invite it into our hearts. And, uh, and then we can ideally not think about it for another year. <laughs> all right. We're going to leave it there. Maybe by the next time we talk, with all the promise of deals before December 1st, uh, something will happen. My bet is no, but uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty to speculate on next week. Maybe some other agents will try their hands at some punnery, some wordplay. Hopefully not. Uh, That's my hope, is that that's just left with Scott Boris. But we will see you next week, whatever the case may be. 